You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? No, 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 no. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Schwarber, a high drive in the right center. He's watching. It's flying. Goodbye. Schwarber strikes again. The Vancouver Canucks drop their first game of the season. They won their first two, but they lose tonight in Philadelphia. You know, who are we to think we're anybody? Who do you think you are? I am. Good morning, Vancouver. 6.01 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Brough, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you. Hello, hello. Intern Lachlan, good morning to you as well. Good morning. Yes. Halford and Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Big show on a rainy Wednesday. I chastised A-Dog earlier because he was eagerly anticipating, nay, waiting for the start mm. of fall and yeah. fall weather. Is this oh, what you wanted? Glorious. Yeah, I came in this morning. I'm like, you Love happy it. now? Oh, it was, it was great. Nothing beats watching a horror movie and all cuddle up in a blanket with the rain hitting the window. Oh, yeah, wonderful. but what about when you have to go to work? Yeah. Oh, it's whatever. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's fine. whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, I've lived here. I'm used to it. You know, yeah, you live yeah. here your whole life. It's rain. Oh, whatever. It's as rain. As, it's as rain. long as it's not like flooding, you know. Like, well, technically, it is flooding. I guess it is kind of. <laughs> it's quite hazardous out there right now. Be careful on the roads, everybody. It's dark. It's rain. The Canucks are losing. Welcome back. Time, Fall. time is healing. Uh, <sighs> what's happening on the program today? You may be asking. Six thirty. Jeff Merrick is going to join us, host of the Jeff Merrick Show. A lot of stuff going on around the National Hockey League that doesn't pertain to the Vancouver Canucks, but we will talk a lot of Canucks with Jeff Merrick at six thirty after a listless. There's a word. Listless. 2 nothing loss in Philadelphia yesterday. 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk. I got to ask him. In recent memory, hell, in all of Major League Baseball playoffs, has there ever been a more pronounced home field advantage <laughs> than the one the Philadelphia Phillies currently have? The Minnesota Twins in 1987. Maybe, with the garbage bags in the outfield. And, and the Homer Hankies. That was They loud. don't have the Homer Hankies anymore in Minnesota. I noticed that. No. Well, it's, I mean, I think it was a bygone era. Mm-hmm. I think that team was a particular team. Well, they could, they're in a different stadium, too, in the well, Metro, yeah, Metrodome. That, that's the other thing. It was loud in the Metrodome, yeah, right? The, but, the BC place of Minnesota. It was the BC place. Does it still exist? Uh, I don't think think so remember they had they had all those like they had the rca dome in, in uh, indianapolis which i went to once did you really yep. was it like bc place where exactly. you're like i'm in bc place like i am home <laughs> where's the p wall yeah i am home you waited you waited an hour for a tequila and soda at the the, the rca Pretty dome much, yeah. in got emotional waiting yeah <laughs> <laughs> the metro dome is no more it was demolished back in 2017 what about the hoosier dome in syracuse look them is all up, up? <laughs> there's all these we gotta domes. do a dome Dome tour. Who's your dome? Isn't the Carrier Dome in Syracuse? Oh, sorry, sorry. The, 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 yeah, yeah, the Carrier Dome in in uh, in Syracuse, yeah. and then. Uh-
I guess the Silverdome was kind of like that. It was purchased and then torn down. So yeah, rest yeah. in peace to all these. I have no idea why we're talking about this at 6.04 in the morning. Ha! That's why it's the Alfred and Brub show. It's to show off all the useless information we've got in our brains from years and years of watching sports. And useless stadiums throughout North America. And to avoid talking about what happened last night. No, we're going to get into that. (laughs) Uh, 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk is going to join us, as mentioned. 8 o'clock, Brendan Morrison, former Vancouver Canuck, is going to join us. i got a bunch of details to tell you about the Canucks Pro-Am. I'll get to that later in the show. BMO will be taking part in it, so there's lots to get into on the show. Working in reverse, 8 o'clock, Brendan Morrison. 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk, 6 o'clock. Sorry, 6.30. Jeff Merrick is going to join us. Uh, That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Well, it was a good start at home for the Philadelphia Flyers. (laughs) Sean Couturier scored his first goal in 22 months. On a weird penalty shot move. But a good one, nonetheless. Uh, Carter Hart, 25 saves. Some guy named Igor Zamula also scored. Zamula! And that was it for the Vancouver Canucks and the Philadelphia Flyers. Flyers, 2-0 winners. Let's move on to the story of the night. Overnight and into this morning, Canucks lay egg, talk it, very pissed. The Canucks didn't show up for their game in Philadelphia. And as a result, they didn't even score a goal. Uh, If the Canucks can be praised for how they responded... In games one and two, for example, if the Oilers scored, the Canucks scored right back. If the Oilers took had a power play, the Canucks killed that, and we were all we were all praising them. They were different games, but we were praising the Canucks for their response. Well, if we can praise them for that, then they can be criticized for their lack of pushback. Egregious. Remember how we were praising the second periods in games one and two for the Canucks. Second period was so bad. Considering the Canucks trailed 2-0 after one, the Flyers outshot the Canucks 22-3 in the second, and only Thatcher Demko was able to keep it close the rest of the way. Even with a couple of power plays late in the game, The Canucks never showed much. I know they had a goal disallowed for goalie interference, and everyone's confused about goalie interference. Should it have counted? Even if I say yes, even if I say yes, that that goal should have counted, the Canucks did not deserve to get one single point, even point one of a point, if they awarded those out of that game against the Flyers yesterday. And I want to play a lot of Rick Tockett because before you get on the media for ripping the Canucks, here's what the coach of the Vancouver Canucks had to say about their performance yesterday in Philadelphia. Well, I mean, I, I can't even pick one guy who played well other than Demko was unreal. He was the, he was, he was great tonight and the rest of the guys weren't. Obviously, didn't like a moment in practice yesterday. Yeah. Do you think preparation or whatever went on between these two games manifested itself in how the team played tonight? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we had. I didn't think we had a good practice before the eight-one game against Edmonton. So, I don't know with that. I, I mean, we just got some guys. They, you know, they got. They, they better pick it up. I mean, 
I mean, I saw a lot of, you know, I don't like to use the word soft, but I, I didn't see you guys competing at all. Um, and that's alarming. But saying that, you know, you win two games. We, you know, we said we didn't, let's not get too high. It's the same thing, you know, obviously it's a bad effort. Let's not get too low. But we got to, obviously, we got to go to the drawing board with some guys here. They got to pick it up. Boy, like, uh, can't throw goose eggs again. Some guys. It's the type of performance that really puts a damper on the positive start that the Canucks did have. Um, we'll give them the 8-1 win over Edmonton. That was still amazing. But now maybe we'll look at Saturday's game in Edmonton a bit differently. Maybe now instead of uh, praising the Canucks for battening down the hatches and all coming together as a team to keep the high-powered Edmonton Oilers from scoring too many goals, we'll wonder if this team is going to have trouble controlling play at 5-on-5 five five because that's now two games in a row where they haven't controlled play at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, but I suppose it was fun to be optimistic while it lasted. We'll always remember... The first two games of the 2023-24 <laughs> season as, uh, you know, optimistic high times in Vancouver with the Canucks. Yeah, like we try and, I mean, try being the optimal word because there's often failure. But we try to, look, we, we cover the team two ways. One is the immediate game-to-game instant reaction. You're high and living large with the wins, and you're dying and living low with the losses. And then there's the more introspective, what exactly is going on here type analysis, which is tough because you have to take a step back from the day-to-day. But I was thinking about this last night, and my analysis right now is I'm actually on the concernometer, <laughs> which is high. Um, I'm actually I'm less concerned. Don't get me wrong. I'm still concerned, but less concerned about the actual performance and more concerned about Rick Tockett's reaction to it. I find and I feel like that was a guy that wasn't just talking about last night's nah, game. That's a good point. In Philadelphia. Did anyone else get that vibe? Yep. They yeah, get, yeah. get those vibes that, yeah. you know, it's when your parents are continually disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. And, and he was you, understated after the Edmonton win in Edmonton after game two. Everyone else here was like, like look at them, they were selling out, blocking shots, and you know, we we, we loved the, the fact that the Canucks were 2-0, and mm-hmm. but he was kind of like, yeah, there's some guys that got to pick it up. Yeah, so it, he sounds like a parent who's kind of starting to get frustrated having to tell the kids the same thing over and over and over again, right? And we've all had these conversations, probably yeah. been on just the receiving. Sit down at dinner. It's not <laughs> God's sake, just sit down and eat. You're, you're just not getting it. You're just not getting it. It's one of those type conversations. And I I mean, you don't have to look any further than the box score to figure out who he's talking about, right? I mean, go look at last night's game. Go look at Nils Hoaglander's ice time last night. Nine minutes and 15 seconds all told. And then in the box score across, just blanks. Mm-hmm. So where you're supposed to have a block shot or a hit or a giveaway or a t- even a, a giveaway. There was nothing, like nothing. There was a bunch of guys that... And I don't think it was last night. I think Rick Tuckett's probably seen this. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Probably dating back to last year that he saw his players and were like, not my kind of guy. Well, not what I exactly want to work with, but I've got him. Besides uh, Demko, you know, Tuckett wouldn't come up with anyone besides Demko that played well. Like, I thought JT Miller played okay. There are some and guys I, and that I, he's and I thought Daco- the crosshairs for Dakota sure. Joshua played okay. Lafferty. Um, yeah, even Lafferty. There were a couple plays where he wasn't... He was actually making, going hard to the net. Yeah, but he wasn't making the right decisions with the puck. Well, um, Beauvillier was has been a complete non-factor. Yeah, right. They're, well, let's let's talk about the massive glaring issue that the Canucks still have. Tyler Myers, the right side of the Canucks defense, 
continues to be, again, it's a glaring, glaring weakness as both Tyler Myers and Noah Juleson had very rough outings and Juleson was on a pairing with Carson Soucy that did not play well. Uh, the Canucks, you want to go big picture, you can take a step back. They still don't have two pairs of defensemen that they can trust. And you have to wonder if Tockett is going to consider breaking up Hughes and Hronik. But if you do break up Hughes and Hronik, I should say, yes. Um, who's going to play with Hughes? Who's going to be the guy that pairs with Hughes? And this is the problem that we started with at training camp when we were like, wait a minute, is Cole McWard really going to do this? And, you know, I, I came in and I look like, you know, like a complete idiot now for suggesting that Noah Juleson could pair with Hughes. But they did do that. For 10 games of last season, Juleson has completely lost and shouldn't be out on the ice. He's lost. He's on tilt. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what decisions to make. He's pinching at the wrong times. He's being aggressive uh, when he should be uh, more conservative, and he's being conservative when he should be more aggressive. Um, you know, we'll give Carson Soucy a bit of a pass, first of all, because he had to play with Noah Juleson and also his first game back. But that pair all over the ice, and... It is a massive, massive issue, and it is why the Canucks continue to target right-shot defensemen in trades, not big trades, but trades all the same. And they made another one with surprise, <laughs> the Pittsburgh Penguins yesterday, yep. and one of the guys they brought in was a defenseman by the name of Mark Friedman. Now, a right-shot defenseman, He's Jason. not even in the NHL right now, but here's what Patrick Alvin had to say about him. Mark Friedman, um, we all know that he can play in the league, he played the last couple of years in Pittsburgh, and he's capable of being in the top six. Capable of being in the top six. But he's also one of those guys that could handle the tough job as a number seven, sitting in the stands and whenever called upon, come in and play games. We'll see here after tonight's game what we're going to do. We have some decisions to make here. Yeah, they sure do. Mm -hmm. Mark Friedman isn't going to solve this problem. Mark Friedman isn't going to come in unless there's some sort of miracle. I mean, prove me wrong, Mark Friedman. Maybe he's the perfect pairing for Quinn Hughes. You never know. And then you could put Hironic down on the second pair with Ian Cole. But think of it this way. Think of it this way. Okay. Can you have a second pair? So these are top four guys. Can you have a second pair in the NHL where Ian Cole is the best player on it? Because that's what you've got right now with Ian Cole and Tyler Myers. No, I think they're going to have to move Quinn Hughes and Philip Hronick. Split them up. Split them up. I think it's an inevitable. But then who do you play with Hughes? I right? think I think you're going to have to keep. Well, I think they're going to have to keep patchworking it together. Like I don't think there's any great magic bullet here. The defense isn't good enough. You know, I was on Toronto radio yesterday. Oh God. There we go. Knew that was coming. No, but they were asking. They're you know because I think that Bourne and Kipper were. Trying to get the, how excited are you guys in Vancouver thing going? I'm like, yeah, like it's been a very fun start. It's been enjoyable. There's been a lot of positives, but none of it has erased the fact that the blue line is still a, a, a big concern. And I likened playing Juleson to, you're just waiting until the bottom falls out here. Well, the bottom has fallen out. Right. But that's, this, you was, can't, this he, was prior to Philly, he actually, right? He actually cannot be in the lineup anymore. Yeah. Like, I, I would put, if you're going to go the next game, I put Mark Friedman in or... Put Hiroshi back there and throw Carson Soucy on the right side. I don't care if he's not comfortable on the right side. Noah Jules is not comfortable on the ice. Yeah. By the way, I do want to spend at least a couple minutes talking about when Juleson jumped in and took on Mark Stahl after Mark Stahl plastered Phil DiGiuseppe into the yeah. boards. Was that game management? Does that fall under game management and poor game management? Here's what I'll say. You cannot 
ever, ever talk about sticking up for one another, Wolfpack mentality, Wolfpack per 60, and in the same breath criticize what Juleson did. That's, well, you can. No, and talk no, no, no. kind of did it. Talk it kind of did it. He said, listen, if you're going to come in after uh, after a play like that, square up and say you go up to, was it was it Mark Stahl? Mark Stahl. You go up to Mark Stahl and say we're going to fight. Because if you go in there and you just, like, run him over, like, Stahl didn't even get a penalty. Stahl didn't even get a penalty. But if Stahl you sc- got a penalty for the hit. He got a penalty for the hit, but yeah. not for the altercation. Because there right? wasn't an altercation. He, jumped, he got jumped. Well, that's the thing, right? But what I'm saying is... So if you go in there and you just square up and say, we're going to fight, then the referees are more likely to just split up those penalties. Noah Juleson exists in a world where there's a culture and a code that if your guy gets hit, you jump in, no questions asked. More specifically, Noah Juleson exists in a world where the Noel Juleson's of the world are supposed to do that. Yeah, like, if you're not I out know. there to protect your buddies, what are you doing here? The guy's struggling like hell. He probably knows he's just on the verge of being in the NHL or not. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now, I, I, I'm, with, I, I'm not going to rip Juleson too I'm hard. I'm not going to rip that. him at all. Like, okay. we're the ones that are saying yeah. when guys get hit and nobody does anything, why aren't you doing anything? Take the penalty. Who cares? Does it cost you in a game like last night? Maybe, but a lot of things cost. But honestly, probably not. The Canucks could not string a pass together by the end of the game. And it actually brings up, here's a a point I want to bring up. Did they look tired? And (laughs) there are multiple things that come from that question, especially if the answer is yes. Because if the answer is yes, is that a problem? That it's game three? Back-to-backs? I find one of the most curious things in sports um, when a team comes out and it just looks like it doesn't have its legs, Mm -hmm. the easy thing to do is to like rip them for having no heart and, you know, saying like, you gotta, you know, that's, that's why you're a professional athlete. Sometimes you're not going to have your legs and the good teams will still find ways to win, still find ways to be competitive. Maybe they change their game plan when they don't have their legs. Mm But I do think that when you're a team that has the travel schedule of the Canucks, recovery has to be a big part of it. And there's more and more research coming on, coming out about, you know, how to properly recover and how recovery is a big part of your conditioning. Like it is a part, like you can't work out every day. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just going to be sore all the time, and you're never going to have that, that. That's my problem. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, a dog is excellent because his his entire life is recovered, right? right? You're yeah. permanent recovery mode. And, and yeah. I and I'll be honest with you, I'm looking more and more into recovery because you know, like you got to. So I recover now six out of seven days of the week, <laughs> right? And then on one day, I do a little bit of exercise. The rest is recovery, and I feel great. I got legs, man. I got legs. When, and, but and I mean, in all seriousness, like it is a challenge for a team like the Canucks. It's a challenge for every professional sports team. Talkit was a little bit defensive when Drantz asked him yesterday after practice about how much, uh, or not yesterday, the day before after practice, how much they were skating. Because mm-hmm. after like a fifty-five minute practice, he had them skating lines for five minutes. Right, and he was kind of like Drantz was like, "Yeah, I'm out there for an hour." He's like, "Oh, it wasn't an hour. It wasn't an hour, oh, right?" No. So they're cognizant of it because if you think about it, you travel all day. You know how your body feels when you're traveling, when you're just not moving, when yep. you're on a flight, and then you have a practice. Um, and then the next day, 
Like, I'm just exploring all options here. I'm exploring all possibilities. Mm-hmm. One of the possibilities, and the most likely one, is like they just aren't a very, they aren't a complete team. Like, they got problems in their roster. But I do find it curious when teams come out and you can see they just don't have it. They don't have the legs, they're not sharp. So okay, I'm so just asking, like, yeah. why is that? Well, I think it's for all the reasons that you suggested. And I don't think anyone is, like, ignorant to this fact. I'm not trying to make excuses for them. Believe me, I don't, I'm don't. i not in the thing. business of doing that. Here's the thing, though. Uh, you're right in that every team goes through this. In those moments, and Tockett really spoke about this last night, is very rarely... Very rarely does every single player on the ice have an off night for you. For example, the Canucks had an off night last night, except for Thatcher Demko. He looked well-rested. As a matter of fact, he looked like he had all the rest in the world. He was a world beater last night. He he was incredible. It's interesting that he didn't play Saturday in Edmonton. So I think what the answer is, is can you withstand those nights where you don't have your legs, but there's a handful of guys that can pull you out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what Tockett was looking for last night. He threw the lines in the blender. He said it in the audio that we played. He's like, I was I was just looking for something. Looking for anyone that was going, and nobody was going aside from Demko. I want to read a few texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Eastwood and New West. After watching that game, it's fair to question everything about their preparation leading up to it. Yeah. Physical, yeah. mental, um, everything. Uh, the Canucks play next tomorrow in Tampa. Tampa's coming off a loss in Buffalo. Tampa is not looking great right now, and I don't think it's just their goaltending. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I, I know everyone's focusing on Vasilevsky not being there, but they don't look They're terrific. They They're don't look goals. terrific to start the season. Oh, I think Buffalo was the better team yesterday yeah. against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But you know, I I do think this is something that at least merits a conversation, and I'm sure the coaching staff is at least discussing it. And going like, like, how do we avoid the, these games? And, you know, there are realities of being a team in Vancouver that has these, um, it's a tougher travel schedule than if you're the New York Rangers. So you're saying a less hard practice the day before? So well, get, I don't know. Get in the game day skate the day of? Or no, or, or, or uh, see, here's the thing. Here's the tough thing with with. with did they the have Ducks, a game right? day skate yesterday? Uh, I don't think they did a morning skate. Yeah. I don't think they did a morning skate. And so this is something that Drance has been, like, actually focusing on quite a bit. You can tell Mm -hmm. with some of the questions he's been um, asking Rick Tockett along this road trip. Um, But, like, this is one of these things where this is the reality of the Canucks situation. People, People are texting in, the Canucks always look like crap in afternoon games back east. Okay, well, why is that? Why is that? I mean, this is something that the uh, Mike Gillis era Canucks explored thoroughly, right? With sleep doctors, yeah, and, uh, having travel consultants about when they should stay over, and they mm-hmm. would often stay over when everyone traditionally would go home, and they'd go home when everyone traditionally stayed over. Like they did those sorts of things, but yeah, they like, invested into it, and I think it paid off. But the other part of it is like it's it's really hard to say that the Canucks have such a significant travel disadvantage that it would cost them to that degree. Because last night's game, for as ugly as it was, was still a two nothing game against a lousy opponent, and there were enough opportunities where they could have snatched a point that they, in no way, yeah. shape, or form, deserved. I thought they got worse as the game went on, though. Well, I think were, their be- I think no, their no, best no. moments were in the first. No, they were third than the second. They were the second period yeah. was the worst thing I've their seen. Their best moment was 
at the end of the first period. I thought they were garbage the rest of the way. And when they had power plays late in the game, they couldn't even string a pass together. Quinn Hughes played a lot and he made his his uh you know, he made the plays that he's going to make, escaping pressure, et cetera, et cetera. But like just some of the passes that he made and some of the passes that he made weren't his fault because the other guys just couldn't pick up the puck. They were just like they were off. They were sloppy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember one, I think it was Phil Peronick actually, just like he made a pass up the wall. I think it was to Petey, just wide open, put it in his skates. Yep. Right. And you're just the like the entire team looked like a step behind. Yeah, yeah. and you're it's not even a step behind. They're just off. off. So yeah. so all I'm saying is like I'm not trying to make excuses one way or another. If you want to just rip them, that's fine. But I find it curious. And I think it's just like Think about. I'm sure there's some like pr- pretty decent athletes that listen to this show regularly. They, they play sports. Maybe they're not the level of professional athletes or anything, but they take their sports pretty seriously. You know those days when you just don't have legs, and you go out there and you think you should feel good, but you go out there and you're like, I feel like crap. And then you start thinking, was it something I ate? Did I sleep well? Was it because I worked out the day before? And then these other days where you're like, you feel amazing and your body feels great. And you're like, wait a minute, this makes no sense. I had like 10 drinks last night, right? Like it's just, it's it's weird to me when the whole team comes out and has a performance like that, except for Thatcher Demko, who looked great and didn't play Saturday in Edmonton, uh, right? Yeah. There's something to discuss there, right? There's something to discuss. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. I do think the goalie interference question is difficult to determine, but I will say that, you know, I think all of us have been watching sports, <laughs> all different sports for a long time. Like we're, we're good. We, we may not be good at playing sports, but we're really good at watching sports. Like we can, we can watch some plays and be like, okay, this is how it's going to go. Right. Like, but and we can, no we, but hold on, hold on. That's what I'm saying is like, it's, I, we're watching games. Like Shorty is one of the best play by play guys in the league. He is so sharp. On everything that he sees, he sees things that others don't because because he's been doing this for a long time. And if Shorty doesn't know what goalie interference is, if he's continually getting these things wrong, then there is clearly an issue with the NHL and everyone from the players to the referees to the replay officials knowing what it is. The question is, what can be done about it? I thought the story you were going to tell about the Russo story was that, because I've heard this story too told as well, they get a bunch of coaches or general managers in a room and they replay, they show they show a, a goalie interference or a potential goalie interference goal mm-hmm. and they do a vote. Like, how many guys think that's goalie interference? How many guys think it's not? And I've heard they've done this and it's totally split. Right. And the issue and these are is the GMs. And the issue is know. is that these conversations happen tiny little meeting rooms in hotels with a select few people. There is no accountability across the board. We are in the midst of a rugby world cup where the the referees are mic'd up and you get to hear the audio yeah. of their thought process and explanation. You can't even get an NHL official to meet with pool reporters afterwards, after a game, and the, to explain their calls. And the things they put out on on Twitter where they explain the decision, 
like they don't explain it. They're just like there was goalie interference. You're like, yeah, we saw that, but like, uh, give us an actual like, give us. Can you give us some context Honestly, on it? The, the shorthand of Connor Garland's explanation yesterday was uh, after further review, Connor Garland did the goalie interference. <laughs> And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, we need details. I need something to work with here. Well, it's- maybe you were, uh, what you just mentioned there, how they got in a room and they voted and it was split 50-50. Maybe that has to be how they decide. They Instead of one person making the final judgment, there's like 50 people and the vote is the count. Vote. The <laughs> vote. vote out there. You know, yeah. Get out your yeah. phones. Yeah, do a Twitter vote. Like- now, there's f- like 50 people in a room and they all <laughs> vote, but the stipulation is it has to be 100%. Everyone has to agree that it's goalie interference. If even one person disagrees, we've got a hung jury here or something like exactly. that. Exactly, treat it like that. So oh if it, even one person disagrees, they're like, no goalie interference. We're never getting a call I think, again. I think so pretty much might... they're just admitting they don't know. Is what I'm saying. Well, I think the reason they don't want the TV cameras in there hearing their conversation is they're just like, I don't know. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> they're just like, we have no idea. We have a big dartboard. It you says can, yes you, and no. You can hear someone like furiously flipping through the rule book in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why is this thing so big? Yeah. <laughs> There's so, so many pages. It's right, like an encyclopedia. And look. I, this book of alphabetical. Rules. How many rules are there? What is this, how to build a rocket ship? It's like six thousand pages. So the you know the reason I bring this up on the heels of the Philly Alfred game was getting all, all righteous and then we no, just start laughing about it. I don't know, but I think but I, I think, agree with him. It is ridiculous. I think you're it right so to a certain degree, though. Is that I think that if you were to really look, peel back the curtain and look behind all this, you'd be like, oh my god, what a garage league. Like I got a feeling. That whoever is it is Coley Campbell still doing work there? And he's like, Gary, here's the thing about telling people about goalie interference. We can't do that. And then Gary Bettman would be like, Well, why not? He's like, Because we don't know what it is. <laughs> we don't have a real good idea of what it is. Yeah, their their, their definition is like, uh, what was the Supreme Court on porno- pornography? They're like, I know it when I see yeah. it. Yeah, what is porno? I know it when I see it. And they're like, Yeah, I get yeah. that. That's and, a really and, odd. And I see ruling. it. I yeah. see it every night. Right. We saw last night. That's it. (laughs) We saw last night again. Uh, But now the other thing, too, is that, again, I hate using this Philly game as an example because I think a lot of people are going to hear this conversation and they're going to be like, what a bunch of losers. They're trying to pin this on the referees. So, again, just to reset, the Canucks were awful last night. I thought the refereeing was kind of on par across the board. I understand that this is a game management league. When you have the amount of physical interactions post-whistle that the NHL has, because other leagues, just they just don't tolerate it, mm-hmm. right? They don't manage the game in that regard. They've, they, they've kind of laid it out ahead of time that there's not going to be an evening up if you do something dumb. I mean, we see it in, in the NFL now, right? The, the rules are so cut and dry. For example, I don't know if you saw what Tyreek Hill did. But I think, weekend. but I think there's some. Uh, so the the interference calls are the I, toughest. I, I, Pass I, interference in NFL. There are some when I'm like, when they, you know, or if they review them in the CFL, I'm like, I don't know. Right. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes in the NFL, they'll leave everything up by nature of like, we'll just yeah. flag this guy. We'll flag that guy. If there's an altercation. But like, okay, so the Lafferty thing yesterday where he slides the puck into an empty net, which, by the way, I thought was completely innocuous. And, like, Travis Konechny takes a healthy run at him. And what's the response? Is it's 2-10 and ten for both. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not sure how you get there as an official. If you look at that completely neutral, how the end result of that, after what is clearly an instigation, and if you think Lafferty just doing what he did is the instigation part of it, I, I can't get there with you. But it's it's one guy jumping another, right? It, not unlike what I saw with Juleson jumping stall, mm-hmm. right? 
And Stahl didn't get we, we brought this up. Stahl did not get penalized for the quote unquote fight. Right. Right. But there's some magically there was a way to even it all up. The the NHL does this a lot, and it's maddening. Maddening because I think that they would be better served to be more punitive in these instances. It would set the tone and it would set a standard. Hey man, I you can't even up everything. But don't you think the Juleson play should have been evened up? Like Mark Mark Stoll Mark Stahl got a penalty for a bad hit and Juleson um attacked Stahl. Like that's that is even. I feel how, like how, what other way would you have called it? I you know what? I think that it's unfair to Juleson that he's in a spot where <laughs> the situation calls for retribution, but he's gonna do something punitive to his team. Does that well, make sense? It doesn't sense call to you? for retribution because a penalty was called. But it does call for retribution within the code and the culture. Okay. If, so, if he doesn't do anything. But the referees aren't concerned with the code and the culture, are they? They're the absolutely players? concerned the players? with that kind of, the players. They are absolutely right in the thick of all of that. Yeah. No. There's no one that understands how a game is supposed to quote unquote flow. That's true. Than, than that NHL one. officials. I'll give right? you that one, but I don't think like for me personally, looking back on that Canucks game, like I I thought Garland probably, if you were to ask me after seeing the multiple replays, was it goalie interference? Yeah, it probably was. Right, but they, and it, it was hilarious because the guy calling the game, like you mentioned, was like, I think that one's going to stand. Yeah. You know, and, and it's well, this, uh, a this timeless in, dance. A texture in the inbox is like the Philly side, which we didn't see, had different angles than our cast that showed more clearly that right. Garland was getting in the way of the play. So maybe Shorty didn't have all the angles that he We needed. might have not just not seen everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I saw it, my gut reaction was like, yeah, I think they're probably calling that one back. Mm. Was, you, it's yeah. pretty clear you can't propel the equipment of the goaltender. That's in the goalie. And Garland did that. And it's clear that he did right? that. He did not touch the puck. He pushed the goalie. And I think that's what cost him. Yeah, but it, but I I've but also I, seen that goal count. That's the frustrating part, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they should make it. Maybe like they should honest. make the coaches when they call for goalie interference. They have to like write on a piece of paper who you're mm. specifically targeting and what specifically he did. Like a skill testing. And if you can't do that, then you're not calling it. The only reason I wanted to bring it up is because. But like, the, what was the, the most egregious call from last night? I, take your pick. I thought there was a bunch that really stood out as odd, but as bad. But here's but the they thing: were wrong. The when penalty say, shot was weird. But when you say pick the most egregious, I can't because I've watched this league for long enough mm. where none of it really gets uh, like draws the level of ire. Like I saw people freaking out about individual plays last night. I'm like, you know what? I've seen worse. I've seen yeah. worse from the NHL. I, I the only the only real takeaway I have is that it is comical that the NHL's response to coaches berating officials is, please don't berate our officials. I've never seen anyone mm-hmm. go to the wall for officials more than this league. Every other league. I think your point there uh, is, is is excellent. Every really other league like. on the planet seems to want to make strides to make the job easier, to pay these guys more, and to make officiating better. And that comes with flaws and unintended consequences for sure. Mm-hmm. But it seems like every time that we have this song and dance, the NHL goes garage league style and is like, no, the best thing to do is to keep everybody at an arm's length and have have this tiny stone cutter-esque group of people that make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, it's not going to work. Because people are going to say, "I, you know, we need more we need more transparency. We need more accountability because it's happening everywhere else no one is going backwards and going into darker ages when it comes to this everyone's trying to get better and get it right i mean again you watch more rugby than i do but isn't that one of the things that rugby's been lauded for recently yeah and, yeah and, no, it's and, the and, and them and them just showing the whole process unfolding mm-hmm. um and rugby's r- rugby isn't easy to call 
Like it isn't, None of it's it isn't easy, to, easy call. to call when you're trying to figure out, you know, for example, if there's been a try or if the ball's been held up, it's difficult because you've got like 12 guys all mm-hmm. piled on top of each other and you're trying to get a, a picture of like where the ball is, totally. right? Totally. And they're going through the process and they're going very calmly. And now one thing that I will say is that the players give the referees space. That's a big part of this. You know, and I think some of the times the referees get flustered because everyone's yelling at them so, while they're trying to make these calls, <laughs> it's right? It's funny or someone just texted in. MLB umpires are just as bad. They are. thousand percent. <laughs> but that's don't you think that's based on tradition almost? Like like MLB umpires have seen back in the day that like we can give it to the managers as much as they can give it to <laughs> so, us, which is just like weird. But get, what is baseball going to do? What other sport can the coach formally walk onto the playing field and have an argument with the official? But Where again, else do you see that? What is yeah. baseball going to end up doing? Robot umps, especially when it comes to the strike zone. And you look at it and you're like, well, there's a time honored tradition of, you know, Angel Hernandez blowing it behind the plate and then Aaron Boone yelling at him and say, or whoever, but, so the what do you think? Right. What do you think is the what is the sticking point here? Like why why is it the way it is? Because it's easy to say like just incompetent or just you know you come up with some conspiracy theories like because they don't want the Canucks to win or something like that. Like what what is the problem? Do you, That's a great question. Like what? Why are they going this way? Is it just a league? Is it the leadership of the league? Yep. Is it, it, is it the leadership of the league that is just kind of stuck in the past and I think refusing it is, to I think it is kind be- of open itself up to could, maybe a league that's that's like doesn't want to put itself in a vulnerable position. And I, when you take accountability, you are by nature vulnerable. I think that for as progressive as Gary Bettman has been in a lot of different avenues, there is still a part of him that understands that there is a, an old school sort of closed door approach that the league was built on that he doesn't ever want to necessarily disrupt. Yeah. Gary Bettman's never gone to the point of banning fighting in the NHL when a lot of other leagues haven't. He's been called on it. He was it. even hesitant to do the coaches' challenges because he's like, this opens up a can of worms. I think he understands that there are some power brokers within this league that he cannot necessarily usurp or challenge or change, and that's always going to be part of the fabric of it because there are some decisions. There are some things with hockey that have remained unchanged that you're like, well, it's odd that Bettman hasn't gone that route. Mm-hmm. Right Now, I think a lot of people will say, good, right? Hey, they've got a NBA commissioner in Adam Silver who is like radically, looking at radically changing the league. Mm-hmm. And some people have said it's too much. Yeah. Like you're, you're changing what we know, and we like tradition, and we like time-honored traditions. And I think that, I mean, again, you look like at— Like, I've got some old school in me in, in how they referee in the playoffs, right? Like, I don't want them making the, the ticky-tack book, right? calls. Right, and I a lot of people I love it. Yeah, like I want the players to put away the whistles. It. Now I get, I get that people will be like, well, you know, like by by saying the players determining it, you the referees are actually determining because they're not calling it. The problem with hockey is there are like three hundred calls that could be made technically every game, that. right? And it's and it's really difficult. What bugs me, I think there was a call on Ian Cole the other day in the Edmonton game. Where, yeah, I think it was Ian Cole, and it's just kind of like it was just a soft call. And you're kind of like, well, why did you call that? And then you'll let, you know, 10 other plays that look exactly like that. And that is the challenge of refereeing hockey. 
unlike basketball, where you're calling how many fouls are in a, in, a, in an average game, right? Uh, probably about 40 to 50. 40 to 50, right? <laughs> yeah. Compared to a hockey game when there might be, I don't know, 8 to 10. Or Maybe the NHL know, refs are getting right? together and they're like, we're letting too many calls go. We just got to pick one now. Well, I mean, that's been the, the, another issue that we don't even have enough time to get into is that there's always the sort of reflexive action from the league, right? It's like, well, now we got a problem with diving. And they're like, fine, we'll we'll put a divers list out there. <laughs> Wasn't then, that the whole Tim Peel controversy? Wasn't he saying like, oh, we got we to gotta find something to call here? Game like, management. That's literally yeah, yeah. what he said. That's, that's game management, right? And that's still exists it hasn't gone away no but, but there's but just the, not talking about as much there was no accountability for it other than suddenly tim peel was retiring from officiating right yeah. i mean that's kind of how these things work so <laughs> joining us now to talk about all that and more former vancouver canuck brendan morrison here on the halford and Bruff show on sportsnet 650 good morning brendan how are you I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So uh, the Can Pro-Am for the Canucks Autism Network, uh, as I understand it, it can get competitive at times. I think anything Cliff Ronning's involved with in an alumni capacity. Is, is, is he involved? He gets, he gets yeah. pretty intense. Who, t- who tries the hardest, Brendan? <laughs> who tries the hardest and how hard do you try? Well, I, I think Cliffy's right up there for sure. He's, uh, he's uh, always working hard out there, but I know... Uh, Greg Adams is flying around out there. I don't know if he's he's going to be there this year, but in the past he's he's driving the net, he's cutting in off the wing, running goalies. <laughs> so he you got to be aware when he's on the ice. But uh, it's a great time. I mean, it's a fantastic event. Um, you know, a lot of money is raised for a great cause, and and overall it's just a fun fun weekend. I was going to say, how much do you enjoy participating in this one in particular? Because not only are you guys supporting a fantastic cause, but as you kind of alluded to there, you get to see all the fellas again. Yeah, it's always nice catching up with with guys you haven't seen for you know a couple of years, and and uh, you know, but it's like when you see them, a day hasn't gone by from you know you pick up from where you left off, ribbing each other, giving it to each other, uh, you know, up on everybody's lives, what they're doing, how their families are. It, that, that's a huge part of it, and and for me personally, this event, I've been very very fortunate. I've actually played on the same team every single year hmm. uh team team bob shanks the legendary bob crook shanks our coach um one of the single largest fundraisers for the event and he's a demanding coach you know he, he <laughs> he's got uh he's he's got uh inquiries two months ago how the summer's going if we're training have we been on the ice are we going to be ready to go so there's a lot of pressure playing for uh for coach bob there who's the funniest guy that's going to be participating in this tournament <laughs> Oh, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the kind of older generation of guys, they seem to be the, the, the popular guys in the dressing room with great stories. Um, you know, you, like, you know, Babs is, is always mm-hmm. great in the room. You know, Kirk McLean. Um, there's so many guys. The list goes on and on. Yerky Dana. I mean, I, Colin Patterson, I know him from Calgary, is, is hilarious. Um, yeah, it, it, it's you know, that's what guys like to hear it, when you're in the locker room, they like to hear kind of the behind the scenes stuff that, you know, maybe isn't public right. uh, during the season, what goes on in the locker room, what goes on on the road. Uh, you know, do you have any good stories about this guy? What about that guy? You know, who's the worst guy you played against? Who's the best player? So it, it, it's good kind of reliving those memories. Who's still in the best shape. I've seen your K Lume around a couple of times and he looks like he can still play. Yeah. He's in pretty good shape for sure. Uh, Mason Raymond, he keeps himself in good shape. He's flying around. Uh, you know, I think David Booth, I saw him there. He's in pretty good shape. You know, it's funny, right? Like it goes, there's really no happy medium with with guys that retire. Either you kind of, 
you, you, you stick with it right. or you, you even lose a little bit of weight. Like a lot of guys I yeah. know have lost weight, but then there's a lot of guys I know will put on 20 or 30, you know? So not many guys are really at their, their playing weight. It's either you're kind of below it or you're way over it. We are speaking to former Vancouver Canuck Brendan Morrison here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A reminder, the Can Pro-Am in support of the Canucks Autism Network gets underway Friday, November 3rd. Uh, visit them online at canproam.ca for more. Hey, Brendan, we were talking about, and you, you alluded to being on the road and being out with the guys. Over your nine, or sorry, eight seasons in Vancouver, you guys obviously did a ton of traveling. Being on the West Coast is kind of a disadvantage when you have to go the lengths that you do and the amount of flights and the overnights and the hotels. We were talking about it as it relates to maybe that's the reason the Canucks laid an egg in Philadelphia last night. From your eight year, I mean, almost a decade in Vancouver, so a lot of like travel miles logged. What do you remember about being really difficult going from the West Coast and doing all that travel on a regular basis? Well, I, I think you have a valid point. Like, you know, um, you know, I think Vancouver's in the top three, at least when I played, there was in the top three and sometimes the top team of miles traveled every year, like pushing 80,000, 90,000 miles. I always found it going from the West Coast to the East Coast more difficult than going from the East Coast to the West Coast. And it's funny, I, I turned that game on last night to watch a little bit of it before I went to my daughter's practice. And it was actually an, even an earlier start, right? And, and, and was it because of the baseball game? Uh, yeah, I they also had a, they also squad. had a soccer friendly going on. At the yeah, was, so they started yeah. at you know six Eastern, which is you know obviously three o'clock Pacific time, which is a very abnormal start time. I mean, most guys uh, are, are right in the middle of their pregame nap uh, at that time. So I, I do think, I mean, not to try, make an excuse. Um, I mean, obviously the guys see the schedule, they know what's coming, and, and they can that, but. I do think that played a factor in the outcome of the game. Were there games where you went out there and you're just like, I have no legs and I can't explain why? It, it happens at times. Um, you know, not a lot, to be honest with you, but there definitely are times. If you're playing, you know, back-to-backs and you know, you're traveling from, I remember sometimes we travel from Minnesota, go to Dallas, and you're getting in at 2, 2.30 in the morning, landing. By the time you get to your hotel at 3, 3.30, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough turnaround. But, um, you know, guys are so well coached these days. The, the videotape they have, the footage, the breakdown of the game, um, there's ways to try and, you know, work smarter instead of working harder. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, simplify your game. You know, do all the little things that add up to to big things. Um, when you don't, you know, feel like you have uh, have your legs under you that night. What do you think of this current Canucks team? Do you do you follow it closely? How, how closely do you follow this Canucks team? Yeah, you know, I, I still follow the game pretty closely. Um, you know, I, I try to watch Vancouver as much as possible. Uh, I, I do think they have a very entertaining team. Uh, you know, I, I love their power play. They got some high end offensive guys. I think, like a lot of people, you know, my kind of question heading into the season is how good defensively will they be, right? They, they do have, uh, I think, one of the top goaltenders in the league when he's on his game. And he gives him, when he's playing that way, he gives him a chance to win every night. So when you have good goaltending, you have a chance to win every night. I don't think scoring goals is going to be that much of an issue. It's just defensively as a team. You know, can they limit the number of goals against? Their special teams on the PK needs to be better. I mean, that's well documented. I think they were 32nd in the league last year. 
if you're 32nd in the league killing penalties, it's an issue. So, you know, if they shore those things up, I, I think they can. Um, I think they can exceed a lot of people's expectations. We are speaking to former Vancouver Canuck Brendan Morrison here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, a lot of guys do a lot of different things in their post-playing career. I love that you've become a YouTube sensation. Uh, can you tell us more <laughs> about what you're doing with Real West Coast? Because, uh, it's well, it's a cool thing that you get to do. Is it? It's, it's like, you know, imagine you get to play professional hockey for a while, which is obviously something of a passion project. And then you get to go and do adventure, conservation, culture, outdoorsy stuff as a project as well. So how much fun has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a lot of fun. I mean, fishing has always been a huge, huge passion of mine. I mean, I do do some other things, like I do some real estate with a group out of North Vancouver called the Strongman Group. But, you know, the fishing is my passion. I love being outdoors. I love being on the water. And, you know, I was able to kind of um, create an opportunity for myself where I could go out and and experience some phenomenal places all around the world fishing. Um, you know, most of our show is filmed in British Columbia, but, you know, we've been up to Alaska. You know, we've been to Hawaii. We've been to Cabo. We've been to Belize. This past spring, we went down to Chile. So to get to travel the world a little bit too and, and, and experience different fisheries around the world has been a big thrill. Um, yeah, and people always ask me, what, what, do you, what do you like about fishing? Again, it's being outdoors. It's kind of getting away from you know, your electronics and, 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 you know, all that consuming, you know, get back to people right now, kind of world we live in, but it's, but it's also, um, I find it calming. I find it a little bit of meditative or meditative. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the word, isn't it? Yeah, meditative. <laughs> Med- yep. If it's not, it is now, Brandon. Okay. It if it's not, now. it is now. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I, I describe it as to me, fishing kind of replaces a bit of that adrenaline rush that I experienced in hockey. Every time I, I get a bite or, you know, that the rod goes off, it's like electricity. I describe it. My heart gets racing. I'm like a little kid. I grab that rod. And that's no different than coming out onto the ice in front of 18,000 mm-hmm. people or, you know, having your team win a game or scoring a goal or, you know, making a good defensive play. That's kind of really been my replacement. That's former Vancouver Canucks forward Brendan Morrison here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You're listening to the best of Halford & Bruff.